Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pandora, GoodPods, whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As for our social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave a review if your app allows you to do so. Of course, you know, please leave any feedback on social media. I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So definitely subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and leave feedback. You can also email me at letstalkmicro at outlook.com with any suggestions. Any feedback, any suggestions, they are always welcome and appreciated. And if you haven't checked out the previous episode of Let's Talk Micro, please go ahead and do so. It is a great episode about cordyceps. If you had watched the show The Last of Us, or if you're currently watching it actually, from HBO, you have heard about cordyceps. So in this episode, Dr. Andres Speck from the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, he joins the podcast to talk about cordyceps. Dr. Speck is an infectious disease doctor, and he comes to the podcast and he talks about cordyceps. He talks about you know, why the term zombie is used. And overall, he talks about fungal infections. It was a great conversation and a great episode. So if you haven't checked it out, please go ahead and do so. And on today's episode, you know, we, I have two guests. They are Dr. Sarah McAnulty and Dr. Spencer Nyholm, and they are from the University of Connecticut. And they joined the podcast to talk about the Hawaiian bobtail squid and about how a bacterial community, about the relationship of a bacterial community and the development of something called the accessory nidomental gland in the Hawaiian bobtail squid. So overall, you know, they talked about this bacterial community, what bacteria can be found there. They talk about Biblia fisheri and its relationship to the squid. They talk about symbiosis. So overall, a great episode. You know, they are very passionate about what they do. And even Dr. McAnulty, she has, she created something called the Skype a Scientist, where you can have access to scientists. So it's a nonprofit organization. So overall, a great conversation. Like I said, they are very passionate. And I learned so much about the Hawaiian bobtail squid and about bacteria. So let's go ahead and listen to the episode. So in today's episode, we are we are kind of we're talking a little bit about bacteria, but at the same time, we are talking about squid. And we are here with two guests to talk about a study that was published in the MBio. Journal of the American Society for Microbiology, which is titled Failure to Launch, Development of a Reproductive Organ Linked to Symbiotic Bacteria. So with me today, I have doctors Sarah McAnulty and Spencer Nyholm from the University of Connecticut. Doctors, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Definitely my pleasure. So just real quick for the audience, uh, can you introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Sarah McAnulty. I'm um, a squid biologist and um, the executive director of Skype a Scientist, um, a informal science education nonprofit based out of Philadelphia. 
And I'm Spencer Nyholm. I'm a professor of molecular and cell biology at the University of Connecticut. And uh, I study symbiotic relationships with animals, and I focus on uh, the Hawaiian bobtail squid, but I've studied other aquatic symbioses as well. Well, definitely a pleasure having you both here. And um, and definitely about the Skyba scientists, you know, if you want Dr. McAnulty, I can put, you know, the link at, on the show notes. Great. That would be wonderful. Once I release the episode. Great. Okay. So... I will be asking some questions about the study as we go, but overall, can you provide like an overview and what was the goal of the study? Uh, sure. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, so our our lab we study symbiotic relationships with the Hawaiian bobtail squid, and the Hawaiian bobtail squid has been a really special organism for over thirty years now to study symbiosis. And most folks, including our lab, has focused on this thing called the light organ, which is in the squid. And the squid, so they're just a little background about the biology is that they're nocturnal predators found in Hawaii and they hunt at night and they use this light organ that has a bioluminescent bacterium called Vibrio fisheri. And the bacteria produce the light and they use that for camouflage. So my lab and other labs, we've been really interested in studying this relationship and, but it turns out the squid have a second symbiosis and that's found in female members. And this is called the accessory nidimental gland. And our lab, we've been studying that for a number of years now. And this is a gland that's found in, in, in as part of the reproductive system of females. And they house a consortium of different types of bacteria in this gland. And they use the bacteria, they actually deposit the bacteria into their eggs and the bacteria provide protection from other microbes. So we specifically showed that they uh, protect from fungi. So this is all background to the symbiosis, but what really got us interested in this study is that we were trying to raise the squid in the lab. And what happened is when the first animals we raised years ago, so this is a project that's happened over 10 years, is that uh, we tried to do it in a really kind of almost germ-free like environment. So we raised them in filtered water so that they didn't have any microbes. We autoclaved the sand that the squid live on so they didn't have any microbes. And when we did that, we were doing it to study the light organ, but the first animals that we raised, we saw that they were missing this other gland. And so that was, we were like, wow, how, how is that possible? And so when, when Sarah came into the lab, she has the squid thumb. So she is great at raising squid. And so we set out to really kind of systematically study what could be causing this development of this symbiotic gland. And um, what, the, the take-home message from the study is that we think that the development of the gland is tied to these symbiotic bacteria that they have to pick up from the environment. Well, wow. you know, thank thank you for that. That was like a great uh, summary. And not only that, like I think you you explained it where everyone coming in that might not know much about squid or or anything, they do get what the article is about. So thank you for that. It just covers like the whole audience. So um, as far as so, you know, you mentioned, you know, symbiosis. And so can you, for the audience, can you 
talk more about that? Uh, sure. So um, symbiosis is our partnerships of all kinds. These can be beneficial symbioses, like we uh, usually talk about with these bobtail squid. They can also be negative. So parasitism is a type of symbiosis as well. And one of the reasons our group is really focused on symbioses that are beneficial, particularly um, in squid, is because we know that uh, bacteria are essential for animal health across the board. In humans, we have bacteria living on our skin. We have bacteria living all throughout our gut. And we know that when um, sometimes things go wrong with the, that microbiome, we see um, various problems with human health. We don't always know that it's causal when these things go wrong. Um, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But it's really important for us to understand how relationships are established and maintained to maintain this like healthy um, relationship in beneficial symbioses. Um, the reason that we really like to use squid for this type of research is they're relatively easy to study, particularly in this historically studied uh, light organ, because there's one species of bacteria in that symbiosis. There will sometimes be multiple strains, um, but generally speaking, it's a simpler system for understanding these relationships than you might get in, let's say, a mouse that has many, many species of bacteria living in their gut. Um, so we started looking at uh, the bobtail squid um, long ago before I was even thinking about being a scientist. Um, folks were studying this, this squid for, for the light organ symbiosis. And then more recently, there's been more interest in the organ that we talk about in the paper today, um, that accessory nitimental gland. Okay, thank you for that. And, you know, this is something us in clinical micro definitely knowing about bacteria in our bodies. And it plays a huge role when we're working up cultures, right? Because sometimes, you know, depending on the source, we have bacteria that are just, you know, normal flora in that area. So, you know, you have some opportunistic ones, but definitely that's something that we need that knowledge when we're working in culture. So it's something very important. And also as clinical microbiologists, we're familiar with some species of Bibrio. And uh, Dr. Nyholm, you mentioned, you know, you talked about the relationship between Birria fisheri and the squid, and you said that it is for, so it provides camouflage? Yeah, that's right. So this, it's it's really cool. So the, if you can picture a squid um, and it's out swimming on its belly or ventral side, uh, inside the mantle cavity, there is this thing called the light organ. And it's part of the ink sac and their hindgut. And it looks very much, if you were to dissect it, like an eye. So there's a reflective tissue and there's a lens. And in the center, the squid harbor this Vibrio fisheri. And, you know, Vibrio fisheri is a very special uh, bacterium because it was the one that was studied for the discovery of quorum sensing, for example. And we know that the bacteria actually talk to each other through chemical signaling to turn on the genes necessary to produce light. So when they are at a, when there are a lot of bacterial cells together, like inside the light organ, they turn on these quorum sensing genes and they produce light. And that light then can be um, reflected and through the lens. And it's the, we, we know that the squid can control the light. So imagine a squid out swimming and a predator is looking up and against moonlight and starlight, normally they would see the silhouette of that squid and they would recognize it as a prey item. Now, what the squid can do is they can use the, the, the bacterial produced light to shine that downward 
so that a predator that looks up doesn't see the shape of a squid. It blends into the background. And this is called counter illumination. And it's a type of camouflage. And it's used by some marine organisms in the environment. Most organisms that do this produce the light themselves, but some squids and fishes actually use bacteria to produce light. Wow, that's definitely uh, fascinating. Um, so now that you mentioned the, the accessory, accessory uh, nitamental gland, can you talk more about that, please? Sure. Yeah. So the accessory nitamental gland is only present in, in female bobtails. It's also present in some um, squid, like the market squid that we have on the both, both east and west coast of North America. It's also present in all cuttlefishes. So um, this organ is a collection of tubules. And inside each tubule, um, there's a, a type of bacteria. And there are about 100-ish uh types of bacteria that live in any given one of these uh, squid. So the, the female squid will um, house this bacteria, feed it, take care of it. And then when they go to lay their eggs, they'll deposit the bacteria that's in the tubules into the jelly coat of the eggs. And it's really important for them to do that because the bacteria are producing um, antifungals, we think antibiotics, maybe other things, we don't know, um, to help protect that baby squid when the, the uh, squid lay the eggs on the seafloor and then leave them alone. In some cephalopod species like octopuses, the mom octopus needs to stay with her eggs and take care of them, um, kind of like uh, clean the surface basically and blow air over them over the course of the baby octopus development. In bobtails and in cuttlefishes, they don't have to do that because they can just lay them on the ground um, and then leave them. Um, and the, the symbiosis with this consortium of bacteria uh, is essential in that. Okay, and now that you mentioned, so um, can you provide some some examples of this bacterial community? Sure. Um, so the bacteria, yeah. So um, so the light organ, we have this binary relationship with Vibrio fischeri, which is a gamma proteobacterium, and in the that we call it A and G for short, the accessory nitamental gland. There's a consortium, but it's still a fairly simple consortium. So it's made up of some common marine bacteria. So the alpha proteobacteria and specifically the rhodobacteriales or members of what are called the roseobacters, uh, that's the primary group. And then we have a second group uh, that are members of the verrucomicrobia. And in our paper, our data suggests that these verrucomicrobia might be very important for the development, um, but we haven't been able to culture those yet, unfortunately. We can culture the alpha, many of the alpha proteobacteria. The other group we find are flavobacteria and then some gamma proteobacteria, but interestingly not Vibrio fischeri, which is in the organ right next door. And for both organs, for the for the ANG and for again, the squid have to pick these bacteria up from the environment. So when they hatch from their egg, they don't have them. And so that's that's um one thing we're really interested in is how the back, how the squid finds and recognizes its bacterial partners. You know, and I like what you said about some when you mentioned that you can culture bacteria. I think that was something that was very eye-opening as I started studying a little more. I mean, I've been a clinical lab scientist for a while. And in the lab, you know, we're using most of the organisms that, you know, we see present in infection, we are able to culture them. And we get them more media, we do our biochemicals, we do IDs. And then as I started, you know, like learning more and more, and then it said it's like a huge percent, like most of the bacteria, you can actually, you cannot culture them. And that was like 
So there's so much more out there than what we are used to. And to me, it's been, you know, it's been a great experience, you know, expanding my knowledge and learning so, you know, so much that I wasn't aware of. So it was definitely something very, very eye-opening for me. Sorry, you were, you were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. And, and we, we, we're trying to employ some different uh, genomics tricks to try to culture these bacteria. So we can we actually have genomes from these bacteria because we can sequence the whole metagenome from the organ. And so we can bioinformatically construct the, for example, the Veruca microbia genomes. Um, so we're hoping we can use those data. That's not in this paper, this is a separate project, but we're hoping we can use those data to try to figure out what type of things the this bacterium can digest or metabolize and, and come up with a tailored medium to, to grow them. Well, that sounds very interesting. So I, I hope it works out. Um, so now you mentioned some things when you were doing the summary uh, of the study, but as far as just to kind of you know touch on it again, uh, so with this study, what worked well and what actually what didn't work well? One of our goals here was figuring out what a squid needs to successfully develop an ANG in an adult. Um, because when we first were raising the squid, we found that uh, when we raised them in pretty clean conditions, the organ just didn't develop at all. It, it really shocked us because um, there are no other examples that we're aware of within animals of an adult animal not having an organ present because they lacked bacteria in their environment. This is the only example. We can think of examples in plants. There are um, like root nodules um, in, in some plants that require rhizobium um, to be around to develop, but in animals, this is it. So we were really like floored that the, the organ wasn't there. So we wanted to pin down what's necessary to make that happen. And so we tried to approach this systematically. Um, we started with adding in specific strains that had been isolated from the community. We started with just a couple. We started then with a, a more diverse group of bacteria, adding it to the water every single day. Um, and when we opened them up as adults, the squid still didn't have ANGs. Um, we were like, huh. So it's not just any bacterium from the community that will kick off development. It's gotta be something else. So we went back to the drawing board um, and tried again. Um, and this time we went back to where we collect squid um, off the coast of Oahu um, and gathered sand from that environment. We had information from previous work, uh, specifically the work of Allison Kerwin, um, and she sequenced the community that's present in the sand and found that there's a lot of overlap between the bacterial community of the ANG and the community of the sand. Not identical, but there's a lot of overlap there. So we raised the squid directly on sand that we shipped back in like plastic bags with a little bit of water and everything to try to keep it as similar as it would be out in the ocean. Um, into the lab, we raised them on that sand and that did it. Um, Allison also sequenced the um, sand over time as it sat in our lab because we were wondering, you know, when sand is shipped from Hawaii to Connecticut, are we seeing changes in the bacterial community as it sits in the lab um, and has water running over it, going through UV filtration, that kind of thing? Or is that, or is that um, changing? And we found that um, in the lab over time, um, Verrucomicrobia, that bacterium that we can't culture, is present. So the main uh, difference between what we had been able to raise these squid on before and what we were able to raise them on in the condition that actually caused them to develop ANGs, we think 
is the Veruca microbia present in that water? Because we couldn't add Veruca microbia experimentally because we couldn't culture it. So that's basically a, 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 a long story short of like four years of our lives trying and trying and trying to get these squid to develop ANGs. Okay, I see. And uh, so then just kind of just, you know, tie it all up at the end and just with the, the results, you know, the significance is right. So the, the, that they do need this this bacterial community in order to reproduce produce this have this gland right yes so they need um environmental bacteria present in their uh, environment when they're growing up in order to successfully develop an ang um great uh is there anything else that you want to add about the study or or anything i'll just say that yeah that, i mean this i think is going to open up some some new doors for us and other researchers and and now the hard part I mean, this was already hard. It took years of effort to to raise a squid. There were many, many folks involved. Um, but now we really want to understand. So, what's the what's the conversation that the bacteria and the squid are having to trigger this development? So, in the light organ symbiosis, we can take some lessons from that. So, we know that, for example, Vibrio fisheri is communicating with the squid when it colonizes the light organ and sends specific signals that trigger development. And we know that, we know from work um, from, from, for example, Margaret McFall and I, Ned Ruby and others, what these signals are that trigger that development. So they're these microbe associated molecular patterns. So things that are, for example, like peptidoglycan LPS and um, this thing that Vibrio fisheri produces called tracheocytotoxin and outer membrane vesicles. So lots of, of cell wall and membrane components that signal to the host. And so we're now we're wondering if similar mechanisms are at play in the ANG. And how do you, and, and, and how does the host re receive those signals? How does it detect them and know that it's the right symbiont? Because one of the amazing things about um, aquatic symbioses especially, is that seawater has over a million cells per milliliter of all different types of bacteria, but there's just these very few bacteria that can get in. So how do you get this very specific symbiosis that forms? I also have one more thing I want to add about our paper that makes it cool. So um, once we were able to raise squid uh, that developed ANGs, we wanted to play around a little bit here. Um, we know that in other systems, we can take, for example, um, genetically modified organisms and colonize the light organ, for example, and see how these differences play out in the symbiosis. Um, we wanted to see if that was possible in the ANG as well. So my lab mate, Andrea Soria, had isolated um, this really striking blue-black uh, type of bacteria that we call JC1, which stands for jelly coat one, because she isolated it from a jelly coat. Um, so we knew it was really uh, easy to pick out on a plate and we didn't see it all the time um, in ANGs. So we uh, raised the squid on the same sand as before from Hawaii, but we added in some JC1 to see if we could get more JC1 showing up um, in a in an adult animal. Um, so we could know that, you know, we, we already showed that if you just raise the squid with specific strains, we can't get them to grow an ANG. But can we spike it into this like ANG inducing environment and have it incorporate into the organ for experimental manipulation down the road. And it turns out we can. So that was like a, a, a big win for us because if we want to um, experimentally manipulate things later, now we know that we can get strains of interest into the organ. Okay. Um, 
you know, one one thing that I want to uh, mention, definitely, you know, I can see like how passionate you are about this. And man, I really, it really, you know, I, I caught that. And it's just like, because you had me the whole time. I was just listening to you and I was so in, you know, learning about the squid. So really, you know, um, thank you. You know, having that passion is always great for your work. And I say that on the podcast over and over again. Uh, one thing that you mentioned, you know, that, that, you know, it's like how science is and, and, and microbiology, you know, it's all about patience. And, you know, you talk about 10 years and we see that in our day-to-day work that it's just like, you know, it's just these things, you know, they take time and the microbiology is different from other areas of the lab where you get results faster. It's all about, so definitely patience is something that we need to have when we're in, definitely in science and micro. And, uh, you know, Dr. McAnulty, you mentioned, you talked about the Skype scientists, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm always a fan of people that you know, use their knowledge or education to make sure that, you know, make information accessible. And, you know, it's just, I'm all for that. So can you please talk more about what is Skype a scientist? Absolutely. Yeah. So Skype a scientist is a nonprofit organization that matches scientists with classrooms, scout troops, libraries, journalists, artists, anybody who needs to talk to a scientist and get access to expert information will match you up for free. Um, We serve thousands of groups every year, and we just try to make it as easy to access science as possible. Um, We also this year have started doing more like public art campaigns to uh, bring science into streets. So that folks don't have to opt into uh, scientific information. They can just encounter it in their everyday lives. Um, But our biggest program is certainly the scientist and classroom matching. Um, And like I mentioned at the beginning, I will go ahead and add that to the notes. So whoever wants to check it out can do so. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, for, you know, we might see some negative things with technology and and social media, but definitely there's also a lot of pluses. You know, you get to meet a lot of people, you you know, people can share the stuff, their research, their articles. And kind of like demystifying science a little bit, like, you know, you always thought about PhDs and scientists, you know, all in the lab working with their lab code. And just now you see them on social media doing things like we do. So it's kind of like, you know, brings us closer together. So that's definitely one of the great pros of of technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely, you know, it has been a pleasure having you both. I mean, like I said, you know, you, you have me so engaged. I learned so much. So thank you so much for taking the time to coming um, to Let's Talk Micro. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. My pleasure. And that, my dear audience... It's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about the Hawaiian bobtail squid and bacteria. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. Continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. It makes you better at your job. As always, thank you so much for listening. A lot of good things are coming your way. Great episodes, collaborations. So definitely stay tuned. And if you have any suggestions, Please, you know, submit them via email, letstalkmicro at outlook.com or via any of the social media platforms. As always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.